Hello, and welcome to The Daily Weekly. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Colin Beresford, and I'm here with Jen Muir and Maya Goldman. Over the weekend, people marched nationwide to advocate for gun control in honor of the thousands of children who die each year of gun violence. Jen will talk to Daily Reporter Catherine Newhan about her experience covering Ann Arbor's March for Our Lives. Then, Maya will talk to research reporter Molly Norris and crime reporter Zaina Syed about articles they wrote this week regarding drug abuse on campus. Later, I'll talk to administration editor Matt Harmon, and we'll discuss the region's recent decision to rename the C.C. Little Building and West Cloud's Winchell House and the student-led activism that got us to this point. Thanks, Colin. So the March for Our Lives event occurred this weekend on Saturday. Uh, It was a student demonstration supporting gun control, um, and there were thousands in attendance uh, at the Ann Arbor March. And so Catherine is here to tell us about it. So could you give us a little bit of background? um, Why was a March for Our Lives going on in Ann Arbor? And also, can you talk a little bit about the movement in general? Yeah, of course. Um, So the March for Our Lives movement in Ann Arbor was organized by the Washtenaw Youth Initiative, which is just this great group of kids from like all different high schools in Washtenaw County. So they have they follow the national platform for gun reform as well as their own Washtenaw County platform. So it's really interesting. They're really taking the initiative on themselves to organize these movements and Um, they use Pioneer High School's campus as a location to do this at. There's lots of space, and it really was a good location for the event. Yeah, so the March for Our Lives movement is definitely, as we all probably know from the media, um, organized by the younger generation. And so I think the Washington Youth Initiative is definitely a good example of how the youth in Ann Arbor and in Washington County is taking that initiative and going forth with their plans. Um, so the they do follow the national platform, which is repealing the Dickey Amendment, making sure that um, they um, have background checks and training before purchasing firearms, that no assault weapons are on the market, and that also they reach the age of, um, of the um, firearms to 21 for, um, for handguns. Um, but then also, as I mentioned, they have the Washtenaw County platform, which is um, the gun buyback programs and increased mental health resource accessibility. For sure. Yeah. And it's super interesting to hear about this going on. I'm in a political science class right now where we're learning about the free speech movement, which took place in the 60s and 70s in, on the mm-hmm. Berkeley campus. So it's kind of interesting. These events are never ending, um, but obviously very important. So um, can you so you got there. Can you describe the scene a little bit when you walked up to uh, when you walked up to the march? Yeah, so there were over 4,000 people there. So a lot of people were gathered in um, at the beginning in the parking lot of Pioneer High School. In addition to the protesters, there were also speakers. There were many booths for different organizations that support gun reform. And there were also performances. So there was actually, before the um, speeches started, there was a um, music group that was playing. So it was just a very inclusive environment, I would say. Um, there was a, a man who had a booth with free hot dogs who was passing them out. So, you know, they were just there to... Um, include everyone and you could really see that from like the different signs that were being raised and all the different people that were there for sure and just you know given the complexity of the topic it's been really prevalent in the news could you talk about a little uh, what was the most difficult or most interesting part of covering this event for you as a reporter yeah I would say the most interesting um, thing about this march was how um, intersectional it was there were so many different speakers that came from Debbie Dingle to 
um, a Las Vegas mass shooting survivor and um, and in, in addition to the high schoolers. So they really covered a large range of the intersectionality of gun violence and how it affects multiple communities and um, specific communities that are targeted in this. So um, I think they did a really good job in that aspect. Um, the most difficult part was definitely hearing the stories. Um, so definitely the Las Vegas um, mass shooting survivor, her name is Liana um, Trevino. And um, just seeing her opening up to this large crowd because she knows how important it is to um, leading change was very inspiring. Um, as well as even um, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell opening up about her personal experiences with gun violence was um, interesting as well. For sure, and you already kind of touched on this a little bit, but was there anything that surprised you about uh, about being there? Either what anything people said or just the setup of the event, anything that really stood out in that regard? Yeah, I was um, actually surprised at how organized it was. Um, you know, when mm. you hear about a march happening, you kind of just think about a big group of people chanting things. But it was really well set up with the performances going first and then the speeches. And then they um, told everyone where to go and what they were going to be doing. So I was really impressed by that. Yeah. Very cool. And um, well, not cool, but it's, <laughs> no, it's very that, that's a very interesting perspective. And I think that we see a lot of we see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of marches, a lot of protests and demonstrations occurring on campus. And so at least on the University of Michigan campus. So it's definitely interesting. They come in all shapes and forms. Exactly. So uh, very good to know. And obviously, unfortunately, school shootings affect college students, too. But this move, movement specifically is organized mostly by high schoolers. Um, and so college students may not be thinking about it as much. Um, why do you think we as college students should be so aware of this movement? Well, yeah, I think just with mass shootings in general, politicians have been broken records. And so the high schoolers who were directly affected by this particular instance kind of took their resources, whether it was um, social media or um, just their organization. It was mo is mostly social media, but you know, organizing these movements. And just because they're a few years younger than us doesn't mean that we shouldn't be paying attention. Because definitely, because as um, a public university, we are a pretty soft target for um, a mass shooting or gun violence. So I think it's very relevant to our situation. And um, and you know, they are a group of revolutionary um, students who are leading this way. And um, it is very reminiscent of, you know, the 60s and 70s and the movements that were happening then. And it really shows that the younger generation can change and lead the way for the future of the polit of the government. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. And you can uh, check out uh, Catherine's coverage of this event at themichigandaily.com. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks, Jen. I'm here with uh, crime beat reporter Zaina and research beat reporter Molly, and we're going to talk about their articles on drug abuse and addiction on campus this week. Uh, Zaina, you wrote about drug and alcohol abuse and, and addiction and the lack of treatment for students on campus. Can you just tell us a little bit more about your article and what made you want to write this story now? Um, so the story was basically about like the stigmatization of receiving treatment for addiction. Um, and I interviewed a few people from like the Collegiate Recovery Program, which is like a national organization. And we have a chapter here at Michigan uh, and just kind of like the work they do and what they could see improve in the program and just like general campus climate. 
stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was it triggered by a certain event or why'd you decide now? Um, no, it wasn't really triggered by an event. It's kind of a funny story. So uh, a week before spring break or the Saturday right before spring break, um, Saturday night, I rode along with an Ann Arbor police officer, mm. uh, which was a really eye-opening experience. I would highly recommend it to everyone who's interested in that kind of thing. Um, but basically, I spent a lot of time talking to the reporter. I was in his car for like four or five hours. Um, and he was just telling me about you know what he does generally. Um, and then we started talking about like drugs. And we visited this one apartment complex that's kind of known for that. Um, and it was just very obvious like that the person who someone called about and like left a tip about uh, was was on drugs um and so it like started this discussion about like drugs and alcohol um and something that really resonated with me that he said was that if people didn't have drug addictions or alcohol addictions alcohol is a drug um I think I would be out of a job so just like the link between addiction and crime is so like resonant or like it resonated with me and it's so it's like such a big deal uh and i think that's something that we often overlook yeah for sure and can you talk a little bit about how you found the collegiate recovery program and and just uh, how it's structured um and what the benefits of that are um so i had never heard of the collegiate recovery program um originally my story was supposed to be about opioid addiction since that was kind of a hot topic in the news lately Mm -hmm. Uh, and especially since michigan is a state that's been hit kind of hard with it um, and so I just did some digging on the web and I saw that this program existed. Then I emailed someone from the program and, uh, Mary Jo from Wolverine Wellness emailed me back. And then I, I met with her and Matt Statman, who's the program director of the collegiate recovery program. Um, we talked, uh, and so basically the program is a national organization. Um, and there's a chapter at Michigan it's it's not necessarily for like treatment of addiction um it's like a support service but basically it just offers like a community for people who are recovering um and it gives them a place where you know they can feel safe to talk about their problems and the things that are happening on campus um and just also like since so much of college culture revolves around drinking and drugs and partying uh it gives them like social options that don't involve those things um yeah yeah and that leads pretty directly into mental health which is obviously an extremely important uh, thing for college students um and it's also really important in environments where drug and alcohol are easily accessible so can you talk a little bit about why your sources think students at the university might be hesitant to seek mental mental health resources so i think there are a couple reasons for that um So the first thing, which I think was a little surprising, um, just because of who I am and like the community I come from, um, is just that, or I take that back, it's not that surprising, uh, but basically that you can't be an alcoholic or you can't be an addict in college. Like everyone's doing it. It's just part of the culture. Um, You know, if you drink like, seven eight shots like that's that's normal you're just you know you're in college Mm 
Uh, and so it's kind of like the normalization of like heavy drinking and heavy using. Uh, and then, so what someone was saying was like, a lot of times people don't know that they're an addict until after they leave college uh, and they try and stop and they realize that they can't. So th of course there's like a difference between like heavy like drinking and addiction. Um, but one of the reasons why people don't seek resources is because it's normalized, like they think it's normal. Um, and then the other reason is there's a stigma against it. Uh, people think that alcoholics, and this is quoting one of the girls, Julia, in my article, people think that alcoholics are like the homeless people in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. um, but alcoholics have like, alcoholics and addicts uh, come in many shapes and sizes and forms. Um, and it's a lot more common, I think, than we would expect. Uh, and it's just any like any other kind of stigma, like whether it's, um, you know, mental health or anything else. People feel uncomfortable with it. It's not really talked about. There's no space for it in the public sphere. Um, and that kind of results in, you know, a hesitancy to seek resources. Yeah, for sure. And in Mali, your article was more about Adderall, which is a pretty different kind of drug. Um, and the primary focus of the article stems from a Michigan, Daily survey, a Michigan Daily survey that we sent out, which found that almost 25% of students have used stimulants such as Adderall to complete coursework or take an exam, but only about 9% said they were prescribed the drugs. So did this surprise you at all, or was it expected given what you know about Adderall and related drugs on campus? Um, how did that feel? I would say I definitely was not surprised. Um, about well, I was actually surprised about the statistic of how many students replied that they had used Adderall. I thought it would be way higher, just because I feel like a lot of people do it, and I yeah. was not surprised that most people weren't prescribed because I know so many people that use Adderall and so few people that are actually prescribed. Like I don't even know if I've ever seen the actual pill bottle for it. I've just seen the pills just because they just like I feel like they move around campus so much, and it's never really coming from a doctor's prescription. Yeah, and a lot of that stems from students buying and selling it from each other. So can you talk a little bit about those numbers and what you found out about that phenomenon? So there are definitely, I found that there are definitely people who are prescribed Adderall and they take it themselves. And that's like, there was one of the students I talked to, Ben, has to take it every morning or he doesn't feel like himself. Like it's just the way that he goes about his life. But a lot of the people I talked to felt like, they didn't need it every day and they didn't use it as prescribed and because of that they had all of these extra pills floating around and obviously we're college students we're all looking for money so they just found it as an easy way to make money and none of them really saw it as if they were doing anything bad they didn't think that they were doing anything that would have legal consequences and it didn't sound like they were thinking about the health of the people that they were selling it to that weren't necessarily that didn't have the conditions that warranted taking uh, pills like Adderall. And there was one student who I interviewed that was just like, I mean, they're adults, like they can do what they want. I have it. If they want to buy it from me, then like that's their prerogative. Like I'm not going to, not their parents. I'm not here to tell them what to do and what not to do. Wow. But it, it is a felony, right? If they get caught. Can you yes. talk a little bit more about that? So Adderall is actually a Schedule two drug. Other drugs that are scheduled at this level are cocaine and oxy, and these are drugs that I think people associate more as they're like, oh, they're bad drugs, or like you wouldn't want to be like, hi, mom, I just did cocaine. Like no one would say that, but <laughs> My Adderall mom would not be happy with no. that. <laughs> but Adderall is just so normalized in our society, just because 
like Carol Boyd said, everybody, like everybody knows someone who's been prescribed it for 15 years. Everybody just like, oh, my friend, she's prescribed Adderall. Can't be that bad. And I think that was something that people thought about Oxy until they realized how addictive it it is. And I just don't think people have gotten to the point where they realize that Adderall is actually has very high addictive potential. And that's a huge risk that you take when you take Adderall when you're not prescribed or you don't take it as prescribed. Yeah. And for both of you guys, what kinds of parallels do you see between um, these two situations? Do you think there are any? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the biggest thing is that people just don't see them as an issue. So like addiction, um, people either like didn't realize they were addicted or uh, if they were, like it was very normalized. And I feel like it's the same thing with Adderall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially for Adderall, I think that because it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't get you wasted and it doesn't make you really high or anything. It just makes you seem like people think, oh, it makes me do better in school. How could that possibly be bad for me? It makes me focus. But really, if you read the article, there are a ton of adverse side effects that can come from Adderall. And even some of the students who took it couldn't take it anymore because they felt like they were getting manic when they were taking it or they were having like stomach pains. And there are just there are definitely problems that arise with it. And one of those problems is addiction. And you can have you can grow dependence on Adderall so much that you can't do schoolwork anymore without it. And I don't think people recognize that that's not good. Yeah. And why do you guys think that it's so important for us and the campus community as a whole to be talking about these issues and to care about them? I definitely think people, because people don't realize that Adderall is bad for you, these kinds of articles are really important because someone may read this and just think twice the next time that they have an exam and they're like, well, it's fine. I won't study till the day before because I can just take Adderall. Like maybe this won't change their minds completely, but I think just raising awareness about the fact that it is an issue and maybe it'll lead someone to investigate a little bit more into amphetamines and see how bad that they actually are for you and see the addictive potential, see the side effects and maybe weigh their options a little more, a little differently next time they decide whether or not they want to use Adderall. Um, Yeah, I definitely agree with what Molly said. Uh, The other thing is just because there's a lack of awareness, there's a lack of treatment. Um, So there was a study done by Columbia, I think in 2012, which is slightly outdated, but um, I believe the numbers still hold true. Only one in 10 people received treatment um, for their addictions, uh, excluding nicotine, where more like public health campaigns have been conducted on that. But uh, that's a huge gap and that's a a huge public health crisis that our nation just really isn't addressing. Um, And this lack of awareness, I think, really plays a huge role in that. Thank you so much, Sana and Molly. Thank you. At Noodles & Company, we don't think your freebies should end with the chopsticks. That's why we created Noodles Rewards, a program that helps you earn discounts, offers, and giveaways just for using the app. Are you craving one of our world-famous Macs or a classic like Japanese pan noodles or pasta fresca? Just order your favorites online or at the restaurant, then scan the app and earn your rewards. From free pot stickers and desserts to special bonus offers, it's our way of saying thanks for being awesome. You'll even be able to skip the line when you order ahead. It's the most delicious form of bribery. Download Noodles Rewards for free at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. 
So I'm here with administration beat editor Matt Harmon, and he was at the Regents meeting yesterday where they voted to begin the process to change the name for CC Little and the Winchell House in West Quad. So Matt, can you tell us a little bit about what led to this and what happened today at the Regents meeting? Yeah, no problem, Colin. So basically what happened on Monday was out of the blue when the Regents announced their agenda for the meeting, which they always do before the meeting, Schwissel announced uh, there were two documents that were signed by Schwissel that said he was recommending Regents vote to remove the names from the CC Little Sciences Building and Winchell House in West Quad. Uh, those came as not not a large surprise as to the fact that they happened, considering what's been going on in the past semester, but the timing was out of nowhere. Not many people uh, expected it. So basically what happened was uh, groups petitioned for Winchell House and CC Little in separate petitions for these names to be observed and possibly researched to have them removed eventually. So President's Committee on University History uh, was investigating them and submitted their recommendations to Schwissel actually like relatively recently, but there has been a large amount of time. So I'm, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Winchell House was submitted in September of last year because it had been researching for a little bit and CC Little was submitted in January. So I had an interview with Schwissel with my administration beat reporters on Monday as well. And our interview was about two hours after he had announced this. So when we went into our interview, we asked him about this delay, and he said he had been taking more time to consult sources that he wanted to ask about this issue. So he was talking to students, to faculty he needed, to people from other universities who have gone through similar situations. And in his, uh, in his documents, he decided that this was the best course of action considering the past history, considering C.C. Little's work with the American Eugenics Society, uh, working with anti-immigration policies to basically enact ethnic quotas, and as well as his work with the tobacco industry, he thought that wasn't fitting for a sciences building. With Winchell, they, the committee and Schwissel both thought that the amount of racism that was in Winchell's academic papers was far beyond the amount of racism that was at the time in the late 1800s. They said it was out of step with the university's agenda at that time was their direct quote. Yeah, I remember reading at some point this week that Winchell was racist for his time. Yeah, like, for the late 1800s, he was racist. Yeah, and that's saying something about 1800s racism. Yeah, like C.C. Like Little, people, like, mm -hmm. at, at, during his time, it was it was more accepted, yeah. sadly. But eugenics was definitely Winchell was, like, a racist mm -hmm. for his time. Yeah. Which and I thought was kind of surprising. That <laughs> is very much an accomplishment in that time period. To be out of step with the university in the late 1800s, for being racist, basically saying that white people are physically and genetically predispositioned to be a superior mm -hmm. race. For the 1800s, with further documents, the committee found that out of step with that time period. So that was interesting. Yeah, and I during the Regents meeting today, someone brought up the fact that his work is featured on the alt-right mm -hmm. websites. And yeah, it's, it's featured with a lot of Spencer ideology, which was part of the reason for CeCe Little and for Winchell was... There's so much sentiment that's being displayed recently that the university did not want to commemorate this history and give that fodder to groups that they do not believe is doing uh, correct or moral work by any means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's been a lot that has led to this moment. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the petitions that have been going around, but there are also a few protests mm -hmm. last fall, and I know that we covered a couple of them. Mm -hmm. um, 
So one of them was shutting down the CC Little bus stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, So tell us like a little bit about that and I can add in. Yeah. So basically last semester, this was also after the West Quad graffiti incident. So there were uh, racial squares were scribbled on West Quad dorm tags of uh, black students. So this was slightly after that, but it was also more about CC Little because they were protesting in front of the bus station. And they basically talked about at this protest, it was black students and students of color standing in solidarity doing their homework in the middle of the street in front of the Natural History Museum and CC Little saying, we have to look at this name every day. And the ideology that CC Little expressed, if he had been able to go through and go to the full extent of his ideology, these students wouldn't be alive today. Mm-hmm. And going through a university and saying, oh, I'm going to the CC Little bus stop having that name displayed to these students, they felt as though that was just a slap in the face, is you are saying the name of a man who wanted to get rid of our entire race. Yeah, and so I think you mentioned the West Quad incident as Mm -hmm. well. And so talking to a lot of the students, they chose to shut down the bus stop, which is really kind of how students get to North Campus. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... I talked to students who were inconvenienced by this and it really did inconvenience a lot of people. It shut down like Mm -hmm. buses moving from central campus to North campus, but talking to students that were protesting, they were saying that when these racist incidents happen on campus, they, their whole day, the people of color, the people who are affected by it, their whole day is disrupted. Their whole month, their whole semester Mm -hmm. is disrupted by this thing. They're living in fear. They're living I mean, they have to deal with this thing. And so their action was ultimately to get attention to what's going on and to show that they're being inconvenienced and being hurt Mm -hmm. by these things. Like this is like what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought that the protest was really interesting and it definitely got a lot of attention. Um, And I would say personally that it has kind of led to this moment where Mm -hmm. where Schlissel has ultimately decided to put in this recommendation and have the regents pass um this resolution resolution or uh yes yeah, so it was a it was a regents uh basically a motion that was made okay. by the regents and yesterday at the regents meeting it was passed unanimously both motions actually for Winchell and CC Whittle were passed unanimously and one thing I would just like to mention was this idea that was brought up by Terry McDonald the chair of the president's committee and Regent Newman uh that we are not they're not trying to erase history they're just acknowledging that some people do not deserve to be commended in this fashion Mm -hmm. yeah so well thank you so much for coming on the show no problem Uh, thank you very much for having me and here's what else you missed this week the current members of csg held their last meeting and the next administration headed by daniel green and izzy bear will begin meeting next tuesday The lecturer's employee organization voted to go on strike if their demands aren't met. And Monday, the graduate employees organization rallied for better trans health. Thanks for listening to this week's installment of the Daily Weekly. This episode was produced by Avery Friedman and Ryan Cox.